Edwards Lewinsky heads a project called Giant Leaps, which is a Horizon-funded project aimed at promoting the adoption of more plant-based foods uh, and trying to persuade people to eat less meat, so it seems clear why it's called Giant Leaps. But Horizon has given them 12 million euro to work with more than 34 partners, including Solar and Mossa Meat, Unilever and Danone, to try and make this a reality. So with that kind of capital behind them, uh, I think they might have a good chance. My name is Alex Crisp and welcome to another episode of Future of Foods Interviews. Okay, so nice to meet you, Edward Zlewinski. Have I said that correctly? Yes, you did. Nice to meet you too, Alex. Yes, uh, you are the Senior R&D Manager at EFOST, which is the European Federation of Food Science and Technology. You're based Indeed. in the Netherlands. Um, yes. And EFOST is a partner with the Giant Leaps Project. Um Yes, indeed. Yes. Uh, yeah. And Giant Leaps Project is part of the Horizon Initiative, which uh, quite famously has a budget of over 90 billion euros uh, to spend in kind of science and uh, and technology. So I was wondering if you could tell, start, Edward, by telling me um, who is Giant Leaps and what do you do specifically yourself and the Giant Leaps Project and, of course, EFOS. Yes, so the, the Giant Leaps project is one of those Horizon Europe projects. Uh, the Giant Leaps project has received about 12 million euro funding for a project of four years. And um, what we try to do is fill knowledge gaps on alternative proteins to, um, let's say, to, to bring our society towards more healthy and sustainable future diets. And that would mean that we would um, uh, support the transition to um, people consuming less meat or less maybe less animal-based uh, products and more plant-based products. And you can use different wordings for this. Uh, the first one is the plant-forward diet. And then you say, well, in, in the diet of humans, to, to be healthy and sustainable, we have to put the plants first, fruits, vegetables, cereals, nuts, oils. The, 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 there's a whole range of plant-based foods that we can eat. And then we only need to eat a small amount of animal-based products to make sure that the protein composition is perfect and to make sure that we consume all the micronutrients that we need. And that's the that the last one is the main reason that, that it's recommended to eat some animal-based products to make sure you get some essential micronutrients that you otherwise maybe would not get. And another word is to say to, to use a plant, more plant-based diet or a plant-rich diet and it, it uh, essentially it means the same, but it doesn't put the, the plants really on the first place. And then an, another term that has come up with uh, quite recent is protein diversification. And that fits very well with the Giant Leaps project. There, there was a, a blog last week from a university in the UK really nicely explaining how they look at this. And then it was almost a, a perfect description of the Giant Leaps project. And there's also um, a white paper published now by AIT Food on the, on the same topic, protein diversification. And this fits nicely because in Giant Leaps, we look at different types of uh, alternative proteins 
Most of them are plant-based, like faba bean, lentils, oats, quinoa, rapeseed. But we also look at other uh, protein sources like microalgae, single-cell proteins, crickets, and also uh, cultured meat. And one that we could have included is, let's say, to, to use um, fish waste or fish cutoffs for human nutrition because that's you no, know, there's a lot of material wasted in fisheries and when we would use it all for human consumption it would make a lot of sense also because those fish rests contain a lot of micronutrients that that are important for our diet so um are you at giant leaps are you the only uh, beneficiary of funding from horizon for this no. area well, for this kind of area of sort of food protein and and etc so the giant leaps project has uh about 34 partners so we have quite a number of academic partners like Wageningen university but um uh, uh, tgask vtt in finland uh, inra in france uh, dill in germany we have quite a number of startups like uh solar foods viva maris but also mozameet and we have uh, yeah, a, a few uh, larger companies like Unilever, Roquette, Fries and Campina that are active in this area, Danone, and some organizations like Efost and Bridge to Food, which are more, let's say, non-governmental organizations. So it's a, it's a large group of partners, which is typical for these consortia, as, as you speak. And um, are, to be honest, there are quite some consortia funded by Horizon Europe on this topic of plant-based proteins, uh, alternative proteins. Uh, it, the Giant Leaps project has included four existing projects in its plan. So the coordinates of these four projects are a partner in the Giant Leaps project. But also after the Giant Leaps project was funded, some more or other projects have been funded like Lycopro and Valpo Path, which are in the similar area. So they all tried you could say to make the food system more sustainable to make sure that people get all the healthy nutrition they need but uh, and then to let's say to promote the consumption of more alternative or plant-based proteins okay so these are the companies that you mentioned do they get funding from you or do they get funding from horizon yeah, so they, they get funding from Horizon. So what typically happens is that you, you start to make a plan together mm. and you always start with a few partners and then you start to draft your plan. You start to discuss who to involve more. Mm -hmm. But in this sector, it's really important to involve a large number of companies because many are really active in this area. And we want to in, wanted to include, let's say, a typical uh, example for each category. And that is why, for instance, Roquette is involved because they are strong in uh, developing plant-based proteins like faba bean and pea protein. And also Moza meat because they, yeah, you could say, are the number one in uh, in cellular meat. Certainly in Europe they are, aren't they? Yeah. And of course, they're based in the Netherlands as well. So they are yes. a local company. Yeah. Yeah. So um, how is how is Giant Leaps hoping to help in the transition from animal based to alternative alternative dietary proteins? Yeah. So um, as I said, what we try to do is to look at all aspects that are critical for, let's say, for the promotion of alternative proteins. So we look at the uh, environmental gaps 
like uh, what is the impact on greenhouse gas emissions on biodiversity and land and water use we we try to look at health gaps digestibility of foods proteins uh the availability and the bioavailability of micronutrients also we look at safety gaps like toxicology uh, allergenicity we also uh, ask the consumers for their let's say opinion input and um, uh, we also look at you could more say technological gaps so we have one work package that is led by vtt in finland which looks at the different uh, uh, sources of protein that are available and on the effect of processing on on these uh, ingredients and processing can lead to a better digestibility or better bioavailability of micronutrients but it can also uh, lead to a reduction of an off flavor of a certain compound like a beanie off flavor so, and then we will bring all these data together and based on all these data there will be recommendations for a healthy and sustainable diet and then th those recommendations can be really science-based okay and then of course we all promote what we are doing we will promote our results scientific papers will be written uh, people will present at scientific conferences we're really active on LinkedIn promoting uh, our project. So uh, I think that's uh, that's a, 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 the strong set. And then additionally, as I said in the beginning, we will we will write a specific brief for policymakers where our information is in. So they will get state-of-the-art uh, recommendations uh, which contain the latest science. I mean, how do you uh, get the information out to the public? You know, once you know, once you've you know, once you've made these findings, you said that you're that you write your research papers and uh, you're quite active on 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 LinkedIn. Yeah, so there are a lot of different means to to reach the, the general public. Mm. At this moment, we are not so much focused on this. I think we are more focused on the right. that's all the scientific community and and policymakers. But uh, for this, we need to have publications in more popular journals, and we already had one where the coordinator, Paul Vos from Wageningen University, was interviewed. So th this is available. We share a lot uh, on LinkedIn and on Twitter. So when when people want to know, they 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 you know there are possibilities to see this. Of course, we have the website where where people can find information, and the idea is to fill it with uh, important information. For instance, when when scholars they have to give a presentation or write a report for their study. They can find relevant information there, contact as as if they need some more help. And um, yeah, you know, the I don't think it is possible, you know, with the budget we have to be really addressing the general public in the best way. But we know some people that do this already, so we try to team up with them. We we have a guy uh, Leroy van der Rey in the Netherlands, and he he writes. Things to know about food. So the Dutch word is foodingswages. And he is really popular. He has a lot of outreach on TikTok and Instagram on, on what he states. He has now even written a book. So we, we try to promote him and we try to work together so that via him we can reach this larger audience. I think that's also one of the, the tactics. Okay. And uh, Wageningen University has quite good access to radio and television. So I'm sure that findings of the Giant Leaps project with time, because we are now only running for one year, will be um, uh, can be seen on television in, in some specific programs, or there will be radio topics about it. Okay, 
uh, and um, and what are some of the most uh, interesting findings that you've that you've made that you would like to sort of publicize? Uh, well, yeah, no, that's always the problem when you when you start such a project is for four years. Yeah. After one year, and, and there's not that much that has has um, the that what is the result of such a project. Yeah. But in, you would like to be communicating, but there are some deliverables ready, as we call them. So some some reports, and the one is about what the consumers in Europe are currently consuming, and there are some some really nice results uh, that have come out, and that in fact that I have presented some of those results last week at a conference in Brussels, and there was a really nice uh, interested audience. For instance, they let's say there was a split in four regions in Europe: east, west, south, and north. And then it was looked what males and females would consume, let's say, on a weekly basis or daily basis, uh, from different categories. And one interesting thing is you, that you could see that in most cases, females were consuming more fruit and vegetables than men. Mm. Men were consuming more uh, meat than women, but also the category of meat and dairy imitates as they were called in this region, are also becoming visible so it, the 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 category is becoming large enough to be visible in in the those graphs which is a good sign they're not as big as meat and dairy itself but they they are popping up uh so and so people are eating more uh, alternative proteins you mean well you you could say the, um, the you have those uh, dairy alternatives like the plant-based milks yes you you have the the meat alternatives yeah. and the, but they put this together in one category and this category is becoming visible in those graphs so the the, the economic size is becoming large enough to okay. to um, uh, to be taken into account then there are two other aspects that are really relevant one uh, because um uh, when we are talking about the protein transition we want the whole um let's say society to have a more healthy and sustainable diet. So you could say that there could come a recommendation that uh, on average people would eat, uh, uh, that take that their proteins 20% from animals, for instance, and then how to achieve this. But uh, it was found that uh, uh, between 9 and 80% of the population, and that depends on the region, uh, was not able to consume enough protein. Mm. On average, uh, um, the let's say people eat far too much protein. So we, we don't have an as a society we don't have an issue. So the recommend, recommended amount is about 0.7 gram per kilogram body weight, but people are eating let's say 170 percent of this. So everybody could eat less protein, but still within society there's a group that doesn't get enough protein. So th apparently they don't have the financial means to to have a healthy diet mm. and that that has impact on our communication because when we want to communicate that people uh, should have a more healthy sustainable diet we cannot tell those people to eat uh, for instance less animal based products because then they will get even consume even less protein so mm. we we have to uh, choose our battles and then the i show the graph on the opposite of this there's a new paper out from the US that shows that 12% of the population in the US consumes half of all beef. <laughs> yeah. 
So yes. that means we should address those people. Because when they they eat half of what they're currently consuming, it will make a big will have a big impact on what overall people are consuming. Yes. I mean it's a very interesting idea to think about advising those people to eat less proteins because I suspect they're not going to listen. <laughs> no, yeah, we, yeah, you know, it maybe it it can happen slowly. And uh the discussion can be about different times of the day because why should we eat five on five occasions on a day uh, meat or dairy or animal-based products? We, we we can choose our occasions. And yeah. for a little snack, well, I think the recommendation would be to take nuts because they uh, they can be rich in some micronutrients and they, there are some positive effects on, on your health mm. uh, coming with these uh, these nuts. So it's uh, we have to be clever. It's a very interesting. It's a very interesting uh, idea uh, and subject because the because human nature surely is to is to consume is is to consume sort of within your means. And so, if you have the means to eat uh, more, then you will eat more. If you have the means to drive two cars instead of one, you have two cars. If you have the means to have have ten cars, quite often you have ten cars. You know, human. You know, human nature, unfortunately, is quite is quite greedy. So it's going to be hard to um, persuade people who can afford to eat more than they need to, uh, to start eating less than they need. And I, yeah. I wonder how people will do that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but the, the you know the, um, the the situation is more complex than this. Yes, because uh, let, let's say the recommendation to move to a plant forward diet and to lower the consumption of animal-based foods is based on the current production system. Because we know that the, to produce red meat or to produce dairy involves to have cows, for instance. It involves that we grow feed that we give to them, and that is very inefficient, and it contributes to the greenhouse gas emissions. Mm -hmm. And even it contributes to climate change via deforestation, which in some cases is mainly driven by the, the need for land to grow feed for for cows so but with the let's say the upcoming new technologies of the production of cellular meat and seafood and and precision fermentation we we have now the possibility to still produce those foods without the the impact on earth yeah with with much lower land use with much lower water use uh, hopefully, when they they are driven by sustainable energy, then we we don't use a lot of fossil fuel. So, uh, and then there are really positive side effects on uh, lower use of antibiotics, lower use on chemical agents. Mm -hmm. there, there will be more room to make land available for let's say for nature to pro protect biodiversity. Mm -hmm. So, w w when you look at the the um, the let's say, the strategy behind. So what is our ultimate goal? And the ultimate goal is net zero and the production protection of biodiversity. Then maybe these new technologies can allow people to maintain such a diet without having so, that much impact on uh, on climate. Well, that's certainly that's certainly the goal, isn't it? Yes. I mean, I, I, um, I understand. I understand that kind of technology will hopefully kind of uh, kind of take over from trying to persuade you know, trying to change human behavior is um, is going to be a very um, uphill struggle. So I, I suspect kind of technology will get there before people 
get there. So, so yes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I think people can change their behavior. And that's something that we, we see. 20 years ago, no one had a mobile phone. And when you would ask consumers, do you think you need a mobile phone? We, we have a very famous piece of television that shows that they all said, no, oh, that would be ridiculous. I would be having a phone call on the toilet. Ha, 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 ha. Yes. I would be using my phone on a bicycle. No, no, that's impossible. So when you ask them, they don't need a mobile phone. And now everybody uses a mobile phone. And you can also see slight differences in what people consume. And that depends on what they pick up from campaigns, from the news, mm. and also from um, the legislation of the government, because governments yeah. can act and to, um, to let's say, to have impact on the behavior. Yes. And I suppose that's part of the problem at the moment, that our kind of governments perhaps don't seem to be on the same side as, as what's in the best interests um, of the public. Um, yeah. So you know, I, I, I'm uh, maybe a bit biased because I lived for three years in Denmark, but um, uh, I'm really proud on the Nordics. So they have published mm -hmm. the new Nordic nutritional recommendations earlier yeah. this year, which is a very strong uh, document, really science-based. They have been looking at the food system really carefully. So they made recommendations for people to have a healthy, complete and sustainable diet. And then following this, recently, Denmark has published their plan on the road to a more plant-based nutrition. So the, the, the government has set a strategy. And then they also funded a very big project, the Agri-Food Cure project, which is much bigger than Giant Leaps, to help this transition. So there's a lot of funding going to resource institutes, to small companies, bigger companies, and they're all moving in the same direction. And uh, this, this, of course, will include uh, campaigns to influence the public or to inform them, let's say this way. Uh, well, I think the general, the overall goal is for Denmark to really reach the net zero at a certain date. And they know they need this uh, protein transition. So they set a strategy. And that is what I really appreciate. And I think countries like Singapore, they, they would come close. And that's also because they don't have a lot of food production at the moment. But mm -hmm. I, I heard their strategy being presented, I think, one and a half years ago in a meeting. And I was really impressed by it. Mm -hmm. And now South Korea, they even have also published uh, such a document like Denmark. So on the road to a more plant-based nutrition. Mm -hmm. So some countries do. Well, let's hope that the other countries can uh, learn from them and follow suit. Yeah, there is... Um, there are examples of, let's say, situations where maybe countries say we want to protect our small producers, the small producers of, of cheese or uh, that have cattle. And uh, I would say that that may seem a good thing. And there are a lot of aspects to this. Also, the, the um, uh, let's say, the livelihood in those remote villages and smaller cities because they need people to live there, to have their living there. But um, yeah, you can also draw a parallel with the coal mines that we had in the Netherlands, and they were closed because we didn't want this to continue anymore. Mm. So the, the basic question then becomes, how can we make this transition? And how can we make these small producers to be part of this? And mm. um, th that is a very important question that has recently been addressed. And um, 
the the idea is, for instance, with production of cellular meat or with precision fermentation, will this be done in large production factories and and be uh, ruled by large larger companies, or will there be possibilities to have smaller production units? So you have more local production, and then a farmer can stay where he is, he she is, and but then instead of having two hundred cows, he can have a hole with some tanks and produce meat or dairy anyway. Yes. So I think that that is the, the, the thing I have in mind. And there was very interesting research done by someone in Finland. And he interviewed farmers about, well, have you heard about this new development? And would you like to be part of it? Uh, what do you Would you switch to this type of production? Of course, it needs some changes. People have to work much more hygienic. To, to prevent, let's say, contaminations of, of from their productions. But um, this is something that we already should be thinking of now, and even governments should think of this, because there, there will be patents generated and um, things only maybe for specific companies, and maybe they should um, help to steer this development into a direction where those small producers can still be part of it, so that it's not so threatening to them, because that is that is behind what I see happening in some countries. Yes. Yes, I think it's true. Rather than kind of telling people that they're going to need to stop doing something, we need to uh, help inform them of how of how they can benefit from it. So you, you know, provide solutions. And it's um, it's one of uh, I don't know whether you know Ira Van, um, uh, Ira Ira Van something something, and she uh, has run Respect Farms. Yes, uh, that's what I meant. Yes. Yes. Okay. I, I, yes. <laughs> yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I've spoken to her, and she was, um, and she was telling me of the idea of having twelve cows, which you would take, uh, sort of sell samples from every now and again, and grow your own meat. So you wouldn't have thousands of cows, which you, you know, which you slaughter. You just have a few that you kind of take samples from. So it's not the idea of kind of getting rid of animals altogether. It's just kind of having a few, and so. If you sell a lovely looking farm with happy animals, you know, farmers and people will get behind that, I think. So I thought her idea was great, you know, when I spoke. Yeah. yeah. So the, the point is that you have a lot of different initiatives going on and all kinds of different solutions. Uh, I think especially in Sweden, they are strong, but you have you have some other examples where uh, there's a maximum number of cows per surface area. So then you you can limit the the impact on the environment. So in the Netherlands we suffer really from a nitrogen issue. So we this is one of the the potential solutions. You also see um, uh, more let's say grazers cows in nature reserves because the it's it's too expensive for the nature uh, protection organizations to to do all the the cutting and mowing themselves. So they have a few cows they put in. And they they have a happy life, mm -hmm. and they um, uh, the the den density is not that high, so it's not it does not have such a big big impact on uh, on let's say CO two emissions. And yeah, I think there are all kinds of of um, uh, possibilities within this area. Yes. But um, when I look at farmers, uh, they they are really uh, innovative. So it uh, the, the the Dutch farmers. They, when they see a possibility, they step into it, and then they change. So, and that that specifically counts for the the growers that grow uh, flowers or plants under glass, 
then when it's needed and when they see a better opportunity, they switch to another type of, of plant. Mm. But, um, we also have farmers that had cows for dairy, but they switched to growing plants. Yes. Uh, so then now they grow wheat and beans and, and potatoes, for instance, okay. to, to be more uh, contributing to this this protein transition. So there are all kinds of possibilities, but we, uh, yeah, we, we should realize that we depend on farmers, so we should involve them in our solution so is this part of, so is this part of the um work of EFOST um to help sort of farmers transition or to kind of um to educate in that regard now uh yeah in that sense yes that, that we could do this so uh, we we decide together which kind of um uh let's say communication dissemination activities we, we do what we prioritize and which target groups but this, this for sure is one thing that we could do. Yes. Yeah. Mm. Okay. So how do companies um, or individuals get help from, from uh, giant leaps? Yeah. So um, in giant leaps, the companies are uh, involved, you could say on, on a bit lower level. So they, they supply ingredients that we will use in our program, use for testing, use for all kinds of analyses. So they will get a lot of data about their ingredients. I think what is important for them is that they really get up-to-date information about the field. So we recently had our consortium meeting a month ago, and then there were presentations, updates of all the work packages. They also heard the presentation I was just referring to. So, uh, and we, we also uh, publish a newsletter every six months, which contains a lot of information about the project, but it contains also a PDF with the publications and the reports that are relevant for Giant Leaps that came out in the past period. Mm -hmm. So they, they, they get quite some services from this project. And because it is presented on a lot of places, they, they are also mentioned, uh, linked to the Giant Leaps project. And um, it can be important for companies to show that they are innovative, that they are interested in innovation. Uh, and th that is something they show by being a partner in these, these kinds of projects. Um, and so, um, so what type of companies do you help? I mean, we kind of talked about farming and, and who do you... Support? As I said, we, so we, um, uh, we have a set of, let's say, SMEs in the, in the project. Yeah. And maybe some of them are, are leaving the stage of startup and they are moving to the scale up. Uh -huh. uh, but we have, for instance, Bugging, which is a relatively small company in Denmark. They they grow insects. Okay. But And we have Napiferin, which is a, a, an SME in Poland, focusing on rapeseed. Uh, we have Solar Foods, which is a company in Finland that 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 say they grow protein from electricity. I've spoken, I've spoken to... Um... I think they are becoming a scale-up. Yes. They have received a lot of funding recently. Yeah. yeah. And I think for Mosameet, it's the same. They, they, have, um, they haven't launched a product yet, but they, they have quite some staff. They're doing a lot of research. Mm -hmm. So, they, yeah, I think they are also moving in, 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 into the scale-up phase. But as said, we also have a number of larger companies like Unilever, Danone, uh, Roquette, Frisson, Campina, and their interests can be different. So Unilever, when they acquired the vegetarian butcher, they really uh, showed a strong interest in the development and sales 
of um, plant-based alternatives. So that's what they are uh, interested in, information that they can use for their purpose. Mm. Um, and I think it would be the same for Danone. Roquette is a, a producer of these ingredients. And Friesen Campina, yeah, so they, they have a bit of a double position. They're active in, in, in multiple areas. So they're mainly a dairy company, but they also started, well, they launched it several years ago already, cheese-based meat alternatives. But now they're focusing also on plant-based uh, milk alternatives. Mm -hmm. And I know they have a joint venture in precision fermentation. Mm -hmm. So the, there's a, a lot happening in this area. Okay. And I think for those uh, companies and their, their employees, it can be really useful and beneficial to be part of such a project and to be well informed about what's happening. And what matters to them also is that they always can approach someone with a question. Okay. You know, we have quite some experts in the team. So when they have a specific question, they can go to that person and hopefully the question will be addressed. It's not that that person can spend a lot of time on it, but yeah, because they know the literature very well of their field, probably they can help to answer the question. Okay. And that's all done free of charge, I suppose, for these companies. You know, they can just come to you and, and, and ask questions. To yeah. So, <laughs> yeah, the, the, let's say, um, officially, we get funding for what we promised to deliver. So everybody is focusing on what they promised in the grant agreement to deliver. Mm -hmm. But we all also try to be nice to each other. So, and then, you know, you the, the world doesn't end after the Giant Leap project is finished. No. And um, so we from Afrost are also, uh, let's say, focused on what we call exploitation. And that means how, how can we make that giant leap survives afterwards can there be and that can mean for instance can we with a, a specific set of the partners write new proposals to get more grants for for this area okay so yeah uh, let's let's say when someone from unilever asks a question to someone from tgas i think the person from tgas will will be willing to spend some time on this because maybe they will be in a project together later on you you never know the the you always have to keep this in mind in a consultancy role of some sort, I suppose. Yes. yes. Yeah. 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 Okay. So, um, what do you think are the greatest hurdles then from, uh, you know, from the transition, for the transition to sustainable food production from where we are now? What hurdles have you seen that are going to be the biggest sort of barrier? To yeah. So when when I listen to the consumer scientists we have on board, then that then uh, they say that. Um, when there are no additional measures taken, it will be difficult to convince consumers to change their diet. Mm. Uh, but on the other hand, we see we see that this is happening. And um, we have some companies in the Netherlands that are already in this field for quite some time. And uh, one of them was uh, announced uh, the category captain uh, last week by the Dutch retailers. So they're, they're in this area for 30 years already, and they, they are becoming more and more recognized as a, as a leader. There are some companies that decided maybe 20 years ago to, to move from meat products to uh, plant-based alternatives. So they, they made that early decision. And you could say the, the example of the vegetarian butcher being taken over by Unilever is an example of this. So the, let's say the change is already happening. So and maybe it are consumers that are 
interested in this or that are more concerned about climate change that, that do this or that are more concerned about their health, that, that's a more important driver even. Um, but it would be great when the government would support this. And then we talk about the food environment. The, the government has impact on this and they could su support the transition. You, you could say by um, preventing some communication. Uh, th there is now a city in the Netherlands that has said, we, we don't allow any advertisements anymore for meat and dairy on, yes. on the billboards we have in our city. So that, that's a, a start. Mm -hmm. But when the, the, the government wants to go into a certain direction, they could de take these measures also. And uh, there was an analysis on, on the advertisements that reach people about food and then the, the the main part of it are not about healthy products or about the protein transition they're about other stuff so i think there there's things to be done and then in the analysis we talk about maybe a tax on red meat or maybe no tax on uh, fresh fruit and vegetables but the uh, it things didn't happen it can still happen in the future so it that could help and then there's an aspect in here that is really important that is the true cost but because what happens now is that um, you could say in uh, in production of meat or dairy there's a part that is unsustainable but uh, to solve it the bill goes to the society and the you know you have the true price i think initiative in the netherlands and they try to calculate how much you have to add to the the retail price to cover all the costs hmm. and then uh, the price for meat and dairy can double well there's maybe a five or ten percent price increase for the plant-based alternatives yeah so th that is something that you could play with or that the government could uh, support in a better way yeah yeah do you think we could get there without the government support you know because if we are relying on the government to try and persuade people then um you know that that slightly worries me because it it kind of seems it seems to me at least that that they're not showing much enthusiasm for the change at least in the uk that's what i see and, and yeah you had a re recent change that was not so so good yeah uh, i think there are uh, agreements in the uk of in the, in the europe the eu about net zero so I think 2050, then the EU should be net zero. So that is a, a stick, that a flag they put in the ground. You should work towards this. Yes. And there are more things happening. There's a lot of legislation in Europe now that is really relevant. The Supply Chain Due Diligence Act that we have in Germany already, it will come in more countries. The EU Deforestation Regulation. The Corporate Social Responsibility Directive. So there are a lot of EU laws that are being implemented that, um, let's say, ask from companies, especially from larger companies, to uh, to be aware of what they are doing so that they can contribute to the longer-term goal. And um, it, it, I think you can have the feeling that we make two steps uh, uh, front and then one step back all the time. But um, we have to, to to keep the longer term vision in mind. And what I try to do is look at the good examples, the positive examples, and then hopefully they will be inspiring for others. Yes. And then there's another uh, player 
that that maybe doesn't get that much intention, but that's the Norwegian Investment Bank. And uh, um, they have become the largest private investor in the world. They have uh, lots of money, but they invest based on the, uh, the, the strategy on net zero. So um, th this will become a, a, a factor of play. It will not be only let's say activists, stakeholders asking questions in the stakeholder or in the, what is the word, um, the, those meetings, but it will be large investors asking those questions. And that, that also makes an impact. Mm. And then you can get a situation that in some cases, companies ask the government to do more. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So there's, um, I mean, I suppose, you know, there is the risk of, of the food strategy going down the same route as, you know, as tobacco did. And then as, as kind of fossil fuel did where it's, it's, you know, kind of misinformation and kind of disinformation fills the media for, for kind of 10, 20 years until it, you know, it just kind of stutters along and, and, you know, I, you know, I, I wonder whether there should be more of a strategy behind um you know the kind of positive image of of the of the new technology long before it's ever even available you know sort of some strategy you know sort of money going into a media strategy to sort of of confront the misinformation that is there to kind of promote it yeah. of uh, i think the the, the most important information that reaches the general public are the uh, the the specific actions of retailers and the retailers, of course, look at where the interest is from their consumers. Mm. But they also want to to have a the outside world to have a positive image of themselves. So they try to um, put more focus on sustainability, on the protein transition. It's it's you know it's maybe not what they earn their, most of their money with, but mm. they um, the, by they can uh, distinguish themselves from their competitors by having specific measures. So uh, a, a Dutch retailer, they have recently launched a new set of products under a new brand that are plant-based. So they, they, they took a risk, they developed this, they put themselves forward and say, okay, this is what we bring to you. And of course they uh, promote it in their ways. They, they have a journal that you can take home for free where of course these products are explained and are recipes and so on. And another retailer originally from Germany, they are also quite strong on sustainability. They have used plants. They also have more and more products that are organic, for instance, or that are with alternative proteins. Mm. So uh, in that sense, I think the competition between retailers also helps because they want to have a green image. But the downside could be uh, like with uh, with uh, fossil fuel that there is greenwashing. Mm. And uh, we, we have... Uh, a clear champion of this in the Netherlands, but um, and and the UK even, but uh, yeah. yeah. So the 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 I don't have the solution for what happens on social media. No. That the people are discussing a lot. So what what we do? That's deliberate choice. Is we bring the facts and we try to stay positive. Yes. Okay. That's uh, I, I think that that is then you you have the most outreach. Okay. All right. Well. Um... I assume it's also much better for our soil as well to sort of get away from the kind of monocrop uh, culture that we have now and, and to kind of, you know, diversify. 
Yes, it's a, it can be that different combinations help each other to prevent diseases. But what for the soil is really important that we um, uh, move back to organic fertilizers mm -hmm. to to uh, increase the organic organic matter in the soil so that it, there will be more life and then it will be healthier also for the plants and more drought resistant. Yes. So um, what about cultivated meats? Do you think, you know, with all the all the research, all the people you've spoken to, do you think um, it is a legitimate expectation to have cultivated meat on the supermarket shelves in three years? Yes, it's it's the developments are moving really fast. Uh, it is already available in uh, Singapore. Mm -hmm. um, there, there are types of meat that are quite unrecognizable as meat. Like minced meat or the you no know, chicken fillets, and um, th those could be the the first products that that um, will be included. You could say it depends on uh, on regulatory approval, but this has already happened in Singapore. It has already happened in uh, in the US. Mm -hmm. So um, yeah, and at a certain moment, the EFSA would be in a very difficult situation to to be. Uh, really critical about this. They, they have to be really critical in a risk assessment. But but when it's approved in a number of other countries, then then it, they have a hard case of not approving it in Europe. Yeah. I know that there, there was a conference. Uh, uh, I think last year or beginning of this year about this topic. The 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 data is in a report. There are conversations between EFSA and the companies. So it's more like a, a matter of time. So when it will the first novel food dossier be submitted to EFSA for cellular meat, and that will uh, that will meet, uh, that will determine when sales will start. But I think there will be sales in Europe uh, within three years from now. Yes. Okay. Okay. Well, on that note, um, on that uh, optimistic note, let's um, I say thank you for coming onto the Future Foods interviews. It's been really uh, interesting and enjoyable. So thank you. Okay, no problem. Thank you too.